Internet Talk Radio. Planet Earth. This is TalkZone.com. Now, the Dr. Robbins Show, talking about your good health. Featuring Larry Robbins, MD, and co-host Susie Robbins, MSW, on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Dr. Larry Robbins. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Robbins Show, where each and every week we bring you the top ten medical stories of the week. I'm here with my co-host, Susie Robbins, who is a social worker, and we talk about all kinds of medical issues. You can reach us and email us, and we'll read questions on the air at our website at headachedrugs.com. That's just one long word, headachedrugs.com. This week we have a very interesting show, and we'll touch it off with an interesting article from last week that depression was more damaging than some other chronic illnesses. And we've always known this, dealing with depressed patients, but the researchers in the study concluded that depression is more damaging to everyday health than chronic diseases such as angina, arthritis, asthma, diabetes, etc., etc., although a lot of people with diabetes happen to be depressed. And if people are ill with other conditions, depression makes them worse, the researchers found. The researchers said that our main findings show that depression impairs the health state to a substantially greater degree than other diseases. The most disabling combination was diabetes and depression together. The findings indicate that we need to provide better treatment for depression because it has such a huge impact on people. And what tends to happen is a health provider doesn't look past the medical problems and ask about depression. What we're saying, the researchers said, is that people will also be depressed, but if you don't manage the depression, you can't improve a person's health. And in the pain field, in dealing with people with chronic pain, we know that if we don't treat depression, the pain doesn't get better. If we don't treat the pain, often the depression doesn't get better. They have to be uh, really dealt with together. But if anybody's been depressed, if you've been depressed, you know how debilitating it is. And just in financial terms, I looked recently at some statistics that migraines and headaches cost the country maybe $20 billion a year and lost work time and uh, maybe a, a small part of that is doctor's visits and ER visits. Low back pain costs the country uh, 25 or $30 billion. Uh, workers' comp, lost work time, etc. But depression really uh, overshadows everything. I think it, it's more than the combined number two and number three, about $70 billion. And it's hard to even to quantify that because that's lost work time totally. But a lot of people who are depressed muddle through work, they go to work, and they don't seem to function very well. So lost productivity, lost quality of life, uh, injured families, it's all due to depression. You know, all that's interesting. One thing that you mentioned that I've, I've never really thought of, maybe some of the listeners haven't either, is that when you take the two subjects of depression and pain, that how closely they really are interlinked, that if you don't treat the depression, the pain isn't going to get a lot better, and vice versa. If you don't treat the pain successfully, the depression isn't going to get better. And just thinking about so many people out there who probably know someone who is dealing with both of those um, issues and that how well, how intermeshed they really are. Well, it's interesting. Pain and depression uh, is a whole subject, and it's... it's um interesting subject if you don't have pain and depression. People constantly, I, I see many headache patients and they say, well, you would be depressed too. Uh, of course I'm depressed because I have headaches, but it's not necessarily true. There's a lot of people with chronic pain, chronic headaches, low back pain who aren't depressed. 
What happens is people get disappointed in their life. They can't do as much. They have to cancel social engagements, lose out on job opportunities, lose their job. Uh, their uh, parenting time isn't very good. And so they're disappointed. Their self-esteem may go down, but they aren't necessarily depressed. And um, if we look at suicide rates in people with pain, uh, they always say that chronic pain will cause suicide and uh, people think about it. But almost everybody who has thoughts of suicide or complete suicide with chronic pain is depressed. The chronic pain people who are not depressed uh, actually don't commit suicide or it's extremely rare. Suze? You know, opening up a whole new Pandora's box here, but what about the um, the link between substance abuse or any kind of addiction with depression? It seems like there would certainly be a link there as well that if you can't if you can't treat the depression successfully, it's going to be awfully hard to treat the addiction. Well, absolutely, and. Um I think that's uh, a lot of this is genetically predetermined. There are a lot of people with chronic pain who never would overuse their pain medicine, but if there's a strong family history of addiction, if they have anxiety and depression and they're treating their um, moods with the pain medicines, they're much more likely to become addicted. So um, addiction, depression, and pain can be interlinked, uh, interlinked uh, and they're all very interesting and complicated subjects. Now, the other issue, we've touched on this on the show before uh, briefly. Uh, Susie, how would you somebody go about, if they're feeling down or depressed, their motivation's down, there's a lot of symptoms of depression, sleeping problems, differences in eating, either no appetite or way too much, um, irritability, anger, but feeling depressed, feeling down, uh, no joy of life or looking forward to going to movies or doing anything. How would somebody go about getting their depression treated? Well, first of all, I think that's good that you explained some of the characteristics because I think maybe out there some people would think that depression means they can't get out of bed, they don't want to eat, they've just pretty much given up. But there's all sorts of depressions, and some people may experience it just as feeling crummy but still going to work, taking care of the kids, taking care of all the responsibilities that, that they have throughout the day, uh, but as you suggest, not having the joy in doing most of those things. Uh, so I think for anybody that's feeling down, feeling low, or knowing somebody that is, I think the first step most likely would be is to go to your primary care physician and talk to them. Yeah, that's a great point. Patients sometimes say to me, Dr. Robbins, uh, I'm not depressed. I know what depression is. Depression is when you can't get out of bed. And I get up and I function I'm not depressed, but uh, there is a whole spectrum of depression, and uh, it's not just one day. You know, adolescents are always depressed for one day, or a lot of people, or a few hours. It has to go on week after week, really, for us to say it's a clinical depression. Now, in the next study, um, we've talked on the show before. It's been a bad year for herbs and for vitamins. A lot of them have bit the dust, where it shows like vitamin E is probably... It uh, has more negatives for most people, um, even multivitamins. We did a piece on uh, a few weeks ago where men on multivitamins got much more severe prostate cancer, and maybe men and maybe women shouldn't take multivitamins. But now here's a positive study about menopause and a natural extract from pine bark 
uh, and the brand name is Pycnogenol, P-Y-C-N-O-G-E-N-O-L, Pycnogenol. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this particular extract uh, from pine bark. Pine bark's been used for various things um, as far as conditions, but we don't care what people claim. There's a lot of claims out there, 99% of the claims for uh, drugs and for natural things turn out not to be true. We need large studies, long studies, placebo-controlled studies, well done. But this was a small study on pine bark for menopause symptoms, uh, looking at fatigue, headache, vaginal dryness, menstrual problems. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, it suggests that the pine bark extract, pycnogenol, acts as an anti-inflammatory and may improve blood flow, and it may help the symptoms of menopause. The findings are very encouraging, according to the researchers, especially given that many women suffering from menopausal symptoms want an alternative to hormones, which may be linked to heart risks. Now, one of the problems with the natural substances, we don't have long-term studies on many of them, looking at side effects. Some of them turn out to have more long-term side effects than drug drugs. But pycnogenol is interesting. The early uh, reports on it look like we should do more studies, not just for menopause, but for probably for other conditions as well. Susie? Well, you know, that's encouraging to hear about that. But, you know, of course, if I'm thinking from my own experience, about a year or so ago, I tried an herb called black cohosh. Is it cohosh? Is that cohosh? Yeah, C-O-H-O-S-H. And my understanding is that a lot of people in Europe, especially Germany, uh, were taking it and that it was helping with menopausal symptoms. Well, it, it didn't help me. I may not have given it long enough chance. I took it for about a month. But it's just interesting that I believe at this point now that is no longer being touted as something to take. And now we've come across this new one, which just tells me that, you know, it's kind of a work in progress in terms of herbs with menopause. Absolutely. The main study that I'm aware of on black cohosh with menopausal symptoms, uh, one of the primarily uh, well-done studies showed it didn't do very much, maybe very mild effect. And we've had that this year for a lot of the herbs. Feverfew, we've used for years, for uh, decades, for centuries, for headaches. But it has a very mild effect, if any, over placebo. Uh, the we- best one for headaches is Petadolex, P-E-T-A-D-O-L-E-X, which in the studies has really held up as well as any drug. But most of the studies do not hold up, and most of the natural treatments and vitamins uh, not only have not been helpful, but sometimes they're more harmful and create more problems. Uh, and it turns out that um, we just can't believe anybody's claims unless they back it up with a lot of data. And there are stories called anecdotes. Say my grandma does well with an herb, and I say my grandma did well with an herb. Uh, that's an anecdote. That's a one-person story. Well, the plural of anecdotes say... You go to a naturopathic doctor and they say that they've treated 80 people, that's 80 anecdotes, with a herb and it helps that. It doesn't mean very much. The plural of anecdotes is not data. Plural of anecdotes is just more anecdotes. Now, if you get thousands of anecdotes and a lot of doctors uh, or people, maybe you can uh, then base it to do a study. But a lot of times we've had thousands of anecdotes. Uh, and positive um, 
reactions to a drug. They put the drug or the procedure through rigorous uh, studies, and it turns out to be no better than placebo. So we really have to wait. There was an interesting study on family meals having a lasting impact positively on kids' diets. Teenagers who sit down at meals with their families may have healthier diets as adults. The findings, say researchers, point up the importance of the traditional family dinner, something that has fallen by the wayside in an age of hectic schedules and takeout food. Past studies have suggested that when parents and children regularly connect over dinner, children are less likely to take up habits like smoking and drinking. Based on the findings, families, according to the researchers, should be encouraged to share meals as often as possible. If the current findings are any indication, regularly sitting down to such meals could have lasting effects on teenagers' diets, according to the researchers. But I think there's other positive things. Socially, it's a good time to talk without the TV uh, and connect. You know, you ask some families, you ask a lot of families, when's the last time you really sat down during the week or even on weekends for a family dinner and uh, maybe once in the last six months? or sometimes never. We all tend to be electronically isolated. The kids are in their room, they got cell phones and TVs and sometimes computers and iPods, and they're talking to their friends and they're, of course they want to talk to their friends more than they want to talk to us as parents, but it isolates people and, uh, you know, the parents are grabbing some fast food and too busy and if we all slow down, that family meal, that old traditional family meal is, uh, I think, much more important than uh, it seems. Susie? Well, I I agree with everything you say. Um, And I do wonder, you know, it is true that many times the kids would rather talk to their friends. but, But even if they can't verbalize it to us, I do think that the kids that do have that opportunity to be able to eat dinner with their parents and the parents have made this nice dinner, maybe the kids have helped with the dinner, that somewhere in them they feel grateful for it and are happy that they're able to do it, even if they can't articulate it back. Um, I know it's good for them long term, but I even think in the moment it has to give them some good feelings. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's more important. There's been other studies. Uh, this study was on their diet later on as a high teenager and early adult, and I really think that it does uh, but there's been other studies on the health of people and families as a unit having family dinners, and it it connects them. I remember when I was growing up, this was um, 50s, early 60s, mid-60s, uh, we wouldn't have very many family dinners. A lot was in front of the TV, uh, even though we only had three channels. We're, we were isolated in front of the TV. But the ones that we did have, I remember very fondly, and... It gives me really great memories. It wasn't a Norman Rockwell-type scene with a turkey and everything, but uh, really, I think it is important, and maybe if we get back to that, we'd all be better off. Don't go away. The show continues after this timeout. 